Let's pray together. Father, we have just sung those words about you changing our hearts, changing something fundamental within us. And we acknowledge before you that if there's going to be a deep-seated change in any of us, well, we need to be willing to be changed. But you're the only one that can really achieve it. You're the only one that can bring it about. So I pray for that this morning, Lord, that there'll be that willingness within each one of us to be molded, to be changed into something better. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit and through your word, you will achieve that for your glory, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Roger said that I could speak on whatever subject I uh, chose this morning. And I always find that a little bit difficult because very often when I come here to Abbey and other places where I speak, I'm given a particular title or a few verses from the Bible from which to speak from. And uh, I find that therefore half the job is done, really. Um, Hopefully, those who've chosen the subject or the passage of Scripture have done a bit of praying and a bit of thinking and know what the uh, congregation uh, need or would like. And so when the choice is up to me, uh, you have that horrible blank sheet. Where do I start? Because very often, I, uh, my preparation is often done from the, the wrong end, as it were. I think, who am I speaking to? What are they likely to need or want? And as I look out this morning at um, I don't know, 50 people or, or, or so, what needs are represented here? Well, 50 or 60 <laughs> different needs. You know, there may be a, uh, I don't know anything here, this is not prophecy, you know, but there may be a couple over here who are really struggling with, with debt and need some help in that area. There may be someone here who's been bereaved recently and is struggling in that. Um, others may be on top of the world. Half of you, as Roger suggested earlier, may be asleep and not quite sure what you want <laughs> at the moment. Um, but there are all different needs, aren't there? And so how can one sermon, how can one service really address such a disparate array of needs? Well, perhaps it can't. But that's one reason why I chose this particular passage. One, because it's something that's been in my mind and I've been speaking on recently. But also, the subject that we're going to have a look at, this subject of justification, being justified, is something that is universal, something that is applicable to each one of us, whether we appreciate it or not. This is something I believe we all need to get our minds around. Um, I can remember the time when I first began to understand what the Bible meant by being justified. And I was so excited with what I began to understand, because I still don't fully comprehend what it's about, but I was so excited that I could not sleep. And it rarely, uh, things rarely excite me that much that I can't sleep, but I was just mulling over what I'd begun to understand and begun to learn, and Wow, it set me buzzing. It really did. So justification, justified. What does it mean? 
And I'm fascinated what David w was saying. And I, I just felt you were opening a can of worms there that I just love to think more. Does the system work? Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? But uh, what do we mean by justification? Now, those of you who are used to particularly computers, although it's not just in the computer world, you'll be used to justifying, won't you? If you use a, a word processing package, uh, you will have the option sometimes to justify your text. And what does justify mean in that situation? Well, it means you have a nice uh, straight line of text down the left-hand side or the right-hand side, or it's justified to the middle. Is that what the Bible means when it talks about justification? Well, no, no, it's not that. Uh, some of you, and I know Roger's well into contemporary music, um, <clears throat> some of you might uh, know of Justin Timberlake's album called Justification. Now, there's obviously a, a play on words there because he's called Justin Timberlake. But the idea behind that when the word justification is used is the one of vindication, or here's an explanation of my position. And we sometimes use the word justified like that. Let me justify it myself. Let me tell you where I am at the moment. Is that what the Bible means when it talks about justification? Well, well no. The word justification was used a great deal in the news about a month ago when Osama bin Laden was assassinated by the American SEALs team that went in, found out where he was. As somebody commented, uh, all these years they've been trying to find him. Where was he? He was at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Americans justified their action. Why was it justified? Well, because he was behind the uh, planes going into the Twin Towers. And so my actions have been justified. And in that sense, the word justification means retribution or I'm getting my own back. Is that what the Bible means by justification? Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't mean any of those things. So what is meant in the Bible by justification? It is a legal term. And so it does come out of the courtroom. But it means perhaps something different than that which immediately pops into our mind. This may not be the best illustration, but it points towards what the Bible means when it talks about justification. And this is a story. I'm not sure if it's true, but it helps me understand a little bit about justification. A man purchased a Rolls Royce. It was his pride and joy. He just loved his Rolls Royce. And he decided to go with his wife on holiday onto the continent. And he was about a week into his uh, continental trip in his beautiful Rolls Royce, and it broke down. Well, in the glove compartment, he had certain emergency numbers that he was to ring if this ever happened. And so he rang one of the numbers. And within two hours, Rolls-Royce had sent out from the UK to France a mechanic who was there on the side of the road putting his car right. Wow, what service. How much was this going to cost? Well, he carried on and enjoyed the rest of his holiday, no problems at all. He arrived back home expecting there to be a letter and a bill from Rolls-Royce for calling out this mechanic, and nothing arrived. So after a few weeks, he eventually rang up Rolls-Royce and said, I was on holiday in France, and my Rolls-Royce broke down, and I rang the number that you had given me, and uh, somebody came out, and you were very efficient, and that's wonderful. I'm just wondering what the cost is of this. And the response came back. We have no record of a Rolls-Royce breaking down in France. 
Now, had the Rolls-Royce broken down in France? Yes, it had. But according to Rolls-Royce, there was no record of that taking place. So it's not a perfect illustration, but that gives us a sense of what the Bible means when it talks about those who become followers of Jesus Christ, those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, have been justified. It is being declared not guilty. It doesn't mean that you're innocent. No one is innocent. And the trouble is that when we start thinking about the magistrates' courts or the crown courts, we think of certain sort of crimes. The fact is the Bible is very clear that there is no one innocent. No, not one. Earlier in the book of Romans, from which we had our reading this morning, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says that everybody has sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is innocent. And because of that, no one can face God. No one can go into the presence of God because we are all guilty. But those who put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ, God declares them not guilty, acquitted, free from the consequence of their own wrongdoing. And the basis on which God can declare ordinary people like you and me not guilty is because the innocent one, Jesus Christ himself, was, as the Bible says, delivered over to death on our behalf. We can be justified. We can be put right with God. Guilty people can be declared not guilty because the innocent one, Jesus Christ, was punished as if he was the most wicked, the most guilty man who ever lived. And that is quite incredible when you consider the range of guilt that is represented here, let alone if we go to, did you call it the dregs? I'm not quite sure. Dross, that's right. Let alone if we go to the courts of this land. God is willing to declare individuals like you and me not guilty to justify us. And that is an incredible place to get to. And these verses that we read here in Romans chapter 5, Uh, speak of some of the fruit, some of the good things that come our way because God is willing to do that, because God is willing to declare us not guilty, to justify us. There's a few that are mentioned there. The first one, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Now, just think for a few moments. Um, What are some of the, uh, the hot spots, some of the... Um, places of conflict in this world today? What are some of the traditional um, enmities that we see in the world today? Uh, anyone like to suggest one or two? Israel. So you have the Jews and the Palestine, uh, Palestinians and the Jews and the Arabs. And you have what's called the peace wall going through the center of Israel to separate those two, uh, uh, two communities. Where else? 38th parallel, the North and South Korea, and what's called the demilitarized zone, which is probably one of the most militarized zones in the world. Yeah. What about closer to home? Have you ever been at or watched a Celtic Rangers match? Boy, I tell you, the hostility that you see there. And so at many levels of society, in many places in the world, you can see two groups of people who 
um, are against each other for various reasons, many of them uh, historical, going back so many years that half the people who are involved in the hostility don't realize why they don't like the, the other group. Well, the Bible says that the biggest hostility that there is is between the creator and the created, between God and human beings. But God is willing to justify us, declare us not guilty, so we can have peace with God. That is quite incredible. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can have peace with God. I'm sure that most people, and sadly, even sometimes those of us who are Christians, we feel that God is sort of, if he wore glasses, he's always looking over his glasses at us in a rather disapproving way. No. Because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God. That is quite incredible. And so the Bible goes on, these verses go on to talk about reconciliation. We were his enemies, it says. But now, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have been reconciled with him. And we've been brought into a a place of grace. Look at verse 2. It says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. A place of grace. That's another word that we really need to understand. I haven't got time to go into, but most people, when they think of grace, they think of saying thank you to God for a meal they're about to have. It's far much more than that. It's a place that we have been brought into when we put our trust in Jesus Christ because we have been declared not guilty. We now are in a place of grace where God lavishes so much onto us and into our lives. My my father is renowned for his little brown envelopes. I'm not quite sure where he gets them from because they're a a, a strange size. I think a few years ago he must have bought hundreds of them and he's gradually getting through them. Um, And the family like them because he's got three children, myself and my brother and sister. And at at Christmas, uh, I think basically from when we turned teens, he no longer bought us presents he gave us a little brown envelope at Christmas, and inside there's some money. Yes. And so we like our Christmas presents from Dad because we get these little brown envelopes. The wonderful thing is that as each of his children have got married, our husbands and wife, well, my wife and husbands, etc., partners of his children, also get a little brown envelope with exactly the same amount inside. And I just like that, and I know many parents work like that. But that's the way that God works with his grace, that he lavishes on us. Whether you've been a Christian a week or 50 years, God does not treat you any differently. He wants to lavish his grace upon you. Why? Because you have been declared not guilty. It's not that you gradually get a little bit more not guilty, if you understand what I mean. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, you are justified, declared not guilty. You are in a place of grace. And because of that, you then become part of God's plans. It says that in the last part of verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, because you've been declared not guilty, justified, you now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? 
don't know how many of you recognise this particular football player. Have we got any Sunderland supporters here? I wouldn't have thought so in the heart of Gloucestershire, but uh, you never know. This is Jordan Henderson. He's an up-and-coming player for Sunderland, but a manager, a certain manager, has his eyes on this man. And that manager is Alex Ferguson. Alex Ferguson wants to strengthen his team. They're not doing too bad at the moment, but they're not quite Barcelona, but who is, all right? And so he wants to bring in some new blood. And he has approached Jordan Henderson, who is out of his contract with Sunderland, saying, do you want to come and join Manchester United? Do you want to be part of something big? Do you want to be part of a future that is quite different to perhaps what you'll get where you are at the moment? And I'm not putting Sunderland down, but you can't really compare the two. And that is a sense of what God is saying to us. Do you want to be part of my plans? Because now you have been declared not guilty. Now you have been justified. You can be part of the plans that I have for the universe. Now we can rejoice and share in the hope that God has for us. Why? Because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have been justified, declared not guilty. God has great plans for you. Do you want to be part of it? That's what he's saying. So we have peace with God. We're in a place of grace. We're part of God's plans. And then there's this strange one in verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Never get the idea that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, even when you are justified by becoming a follower in Jesus Christ, that you are then exempt from bad stuff coming into your life. That is a heresy. That is false teaching. If you think that becoming a Christian means that you're going to have a wonderfully easy life. In fact, very often when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, things can get tougher. They really can. But what this verse says is that although we may never understand the ultimate purpose of why bad things come into our life, because we might not understand the ultimate purpose of suffering, it doesn't mean that suffering is not purposeless. Because one of the things it does, it produces perseverance in us. It produces character, which leads to hope. Suffering does something for those who are justified, that nothing else can do. And those of you who've been through bad times and who've gone through bad times can perhaps look back and say, yes, that that time has done something in me that I could not have learned. Uh, I couldn't have got by any other means. Being put right with God does not mean that you have an easy life. But it does mean that there is a purpose to the suffering that we have. One day when we are in the presence of God, he might choose to explain the reason why we went through bad times. But even if we have to wait until we have that explanation, right now there is a purpose, because that suffering is doing something in our lives that nothing else can do. And just when we think it does get too hard, and we feel all alone in the midst of our suffering, there's something else that comes our way because we are justified. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit and hope does not disappoint us, verse 5, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Because we have been declared not guilty, 
Because we have been justified, God has given us his very presence, the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. We will come to you. And the way that God comes to us is in the person of his Holy Spirit. And God sent his Holy Spirit to those whom he has declared not guilty, those who are justified. Now that's just a little bit of what justification is and what comes our way when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is incredible. And in verses 6 to 8, it's almost a reminder there that this is God's grace. It's a gift that God gives us. It's not because of any inherent goodness on our part that God says, well, he's quite a nice chap, and so I'll declare him not guilty. No, it's to those, no matter what their background, no matter what their nationality, no matter where they've been, it's those who cry out to God and say, Jesus Christ, you died for me. Thank you. I put my faith in you. When people declare that to God, he justifies them. He declares them not guilty. Such grace, such love, such generosity to those who are undeserving of such love and grace and generosity. But there's more. There's even more. Because God does not treat those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, he doesn't treat them reluctantly like wayward children. Oh, well, you put your trust in my son. Oh, well, I might as well declare you're not guilty. Okay, you're not guilty, but I wish you'd be a bit better. No. The Bible says, these verses say, and this is what verses 9 to 11 talk about. If God treats us in that way, declares peace, gives us hope, puts us in a place of grace, gives us a purpose for suffering, gives us his Holy Spirit, if God treats us like that when we were his enemies, just think how he will treat you now that you are his friends. If God poured all that stuff into your life, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and justified you, declared you not guilty when you were his enemies, how much more he has for you now that you are, are his friends. So it's a, a little bit like this. Um, very often in the Bible, the things that we do wrong, the sins that we commit, is likened to being in debt. And we are all in debt, and we've all run up a debt. Now, just imagine you were financially in debt. And I'm meaning tens of thousands of pounds, and you had no way of settling your debt. You were getting letters from the bank, uh, warning they were going to send the bailiffs around to possess your goods, to um, take your home off you. And then somebody comes along and says, I will clear your debt. And so they pay off all your creditors. You would be pretty grateful, wouldn't you? But now you are free from all that debt. Now, that is what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven. We are declared not guilty. We are justified. What a wonderful position to be in. But just going back to the story, imagine if that individual who cleared your debt then went on to say this. And I'm going to make sure that I pay sufficient funds into your bank account so that you will never go into debt again. 
So there's no possibility of you going into the red at all. How grateful you would be then, yes? Well, that is what Jesus does for us. That is what God does for us through Jesus. Because now we are his friends. He has got so much more to give to us. No condemnation. No wrath. Justification not only deals with the past, clearing our past debt, but it deals with the future as well and our present situation. God has so much to pour into our lives that sometimes it can be overwhelming. Such grace such love, such generosity. And God offers each one of us this wonderful gift of being declared not guilty and being justified. And like any gift, it needs to be received. It isn't forced upon us, else it's not a gift. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Receive that gift. Turn to him and say thank you God for sending Jesus. Thank you Jesus that you came and you died and I believe that your death cleared my debt. And I turn to you and I need to be justified by you. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you that it's possible because of what you have done in your son Jesus to stand in your presence justified, declared not guilty. We acknowledge that it's only because Jesus, the innocent, was declared guilty on our part. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death and your burial and your resurrection and that life that you now offer to those who put their trust in you. We ask that you'll help us to understand these things. Help us to respond to them, we pray. In your name, amen.